As the waning light of summer gives in to the prolonged twilight of autumn, and the warm embrace of September sun gives in to the crisp chill of October's rust, we turn our attention now more acutely to the high strangeness that goes bump in the night. Just remember, there are things out there in the darkness, so lock your doors and throw up your protective wards. From the jack-o'-lantern's twisted grimace to the roots of all things Brothers Grimm, it's almost trick-or-treat time again. And although we're technically on a break from season three, the monsters in your walls, the ghosts in your attics, and the goblins in your garden are just now getting up to their ghoulish delights. So we're here to remind you, everything is not okay. Dim the lights, light a candle, and come dine with the devils. Walk with the zombies, read the forbidden books, and take pictures of the gremlins. I'll be your host for this evening's unholy adventures. My name is Alan Bishop, writer, historian, Tinker, Storyteller, and The Alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. And you're listening to, no, in fact you're experiencing, if you have ghosts, you have everything. Hey guys, happy Halloween. Hope you guys are having a great time out there. So, tonight is our final spooky season episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. And I hope you've enjoyed this season as I have truly enjoyed it. I know we didn't do like deep dives on topics, not generally anyways, and some of it was narrative stuff. As far as reading through Poe and Grimm's fairy tales and all that sort of stuff. But I think that there is a spiritual aspect to all those things, certainly a cultural spiritual aspect to all those things that I find as important as any of the exposition and any of the research that we do on our mainline shows. And I thought, you know, that this would be a cool way to celebrate the spooky season. And what I hope is that you guys have enjoyed it as a way to get into the mood of the holiday. And, and maybe if I'm lucky, you guys will 
you know, use that as the background for your Halloween parties or potentially for, you know, when you're driving around doing the trick or treat thing or whatever, just to uh, keep things going for you guys. So, um, as always, really appreciate your support. Please always like and share the shows and where you can give us a five star review. It really helps us out. The show has grown substantially, mostly because uh, Appalachian Intelligence and um, Eric over at Uncomfortable have really given us a chance to reach out to new listeners who are not otherwise aware of us through the world of distilling. So I am forever grateful to those two podcasts. Uh, It was fantastic to sit down with both of them uh, in recent months and kind of get the word out there about if you have ghosts, you have everything and my alchemical work in general. And always please try to support us through thealchemistcabinet.com. We will continue to try to keep this show as commercial-free as what we possibly can. Uh, We didn't do any the past season. We didn't do any for spooky season as far as commercials go. And I plan to keep the format that way. I also don't... Right now, I don't intend to offer any bonus content because it's hard to keep up with what we are already doing. And, you know, while I do appreciate those Patreon shows that a lot of podcasters do, it also feels a little bit like a cop-out. Right. I mean, if you guys want to support what we do, you can always reach out to us and ask us for various ways to uh, to send some cash our direction, etc. I think we even have some things out there that you can do that with. And we may make those a little bit more obvious, but I can't really afford to offer bonus shows right now because I, I, there's no way I'd be able to keep up with it with all the things that I'm doing. Nonetheless, we uh, we will be back for another full season, probably late November, early December, somewhere in there. I will tell you that we are working with JJ Rose 777 on some cool projects, and we did just record a podcast with her. I have a representative of Eastern Cemetery, for those of you who are interested in that show, that will be coming on for the next season as well. And we'll be jumping back into the Book of Giants, uh, the Book of Jubilees. We're probably going to touch on a lot more of the Prismatic stuff coming up on the next season. Um, Lots of plans floating around in there, but time to take a short little break press the reset button and get back into it because I refuse to just drill through these shows for content because it's not it's not worthwhile for you guys as listeners and it's not worthwhile for me as a producer it has to be something really cool really worthwhile and really interesting or it's not worth doing I'm not doing this for numbers I'm not even doing it for money I have a job and a career that I love very 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 much so not that a little extra money isn't nice every once in a while but this is not what I started this show for so set back relax and get ready for a couple more Grimm's fairy tales this evening and have Happy Halloween, you guys. Love you guys, and see you soon. Stolen Pennies by the Brothers Grimm. Once upon a time, there was a couple who invited a friend to dinner. He arrived late, and it was nearly midnight when they finished eating. Suddenly, the friend saw a girl in the room. She was completely white, and she floated in the air. She did not look around and did not speak. She floated through the wall and disappeared. Look! A girl, he said, but the girl disappeared. She was on the other side of the wall. What girl? There's no girl there, said the man. The man looked sad. 
The next night, the friend came for dinner again, and he saw the girl again. Look, it's that girl again. She just floated through the wall. But the man and woman were not interested. There was no girl. The next night, the friend returned once more. And when the girl reappeared, he told the couple, Look! Look! Finally, the man said, There is no girl! Please stop saying that! The friend inspected the wall. And in the wall, there was a door to another room. The friend went inside. He saw the girl in the room. She was sitting on the ground. She was hitting the boards on the floor with her hands. When she saw the friend, she tried to hide in the corner. And then she disappeared. The friend shouted, I could see the girl. She was real. She was hitting the floor. She was in this room. The friend lifted up the carpet where the girl was hitting the floor. Then he picked up the floorboards. Under the boards, he found two pennies. And then he went back to the couple. Sadly, the woman said, That room was my little girl's room. She was my baby, but she died a month ago. I think your daughter was looking for these two pennies. I found them under the floorboards, said the friend. The father had tears in his eyes. My daughter found those on the street. I told her to give them to charity. She said she wanted to buy chocolate, but she was too sick. She never got to use the two pennies. The friend told the couple to donate the two pennies to the poor. And after that, they never saw the girl again. Finally, she was at peace. The Juniper Tree by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm Long ago, at least 2,000 years, there was a rich man who had a beautiful and pious wife, and they loved each other dearly. However, they had no children, though they wished very much to have some, and the woman prayed for them day and night, but they didn't get any, and they didn't get any. In front of their house, there was a courtyard where there stood a juniper tree. One day in winter, the woman was standing beneath it, peeling herself an apple, and while she was thus peeling the apple, she cut her finger, and the blood fell into the snow. Oh, said the woman. She sighed heavily, looked at the blood before her, and was most unhappy. If only I had a child as red as blood and as white as snow. And as she said that, she became quite contented and felt sure that it was going to happen. Then she went into the house and a month went by, and the snow was gone, and two months, and everything was green, and three months, and all the flowers came out of the earth, and four months, and all the trees in the woods grew thicker, and the green branches were all entwined in one another, and the birds sang until the woods resounded and the blossoms fell from the trees. Then the fifth month passed, and she stood beneath the juniper tree, which smelled so sweet that her heart jumped for joy and she fell on her knees and was beside herself. And when the sixth month was over, the fruit was thick and large, and then she was quite still. And after the seventh month, she picked the juniper berries and ate them greedily. Then she grew sick and sorrowful. Then the eighth month passed, and she called her husband to her and cried and said, if I die, then bury me beneath the juniper tree. 
Then she was quite comforted and happy until the next month was over, and then she had a child as white as snow and as red as blood, and when she saw it, she was happy, so happy that she died. Her husband buried her beneath the juniper tree, and he began to cry bitterly. After some time, he was more at ease, and although he still cried, he could bear it, and some time later, he took another wife. He had a daughter by the second wife, but the first wife's child was a little son, and he was as red as blood and as white as snow. When the woman looked at her daughter, she loved her very much, but then she looked at the little boy, and it pierced her heart, for she thought he would always stand in her way. She was always thinking how she could get the entire inheritance for her daughter, and the evil one filled her mind with this until she grew very angry with the little boy. And she pushed him from one corner to the other and slapped him here and cuffed him there until the poor child was always afraid. For when he came home from school, there was nowhere he could find any peace. One day, the woman had gone upstairs to her room when her little daughter came up too and said, Mother, give me an apple. Yes, my child, said the woman and gave her a beautiful apple out of the chest. The chest had a large heavy lid with a large sharp iron lock. Mother, said the little daughter, is brother to not have one too? This made the woman angry, but she said, yes, when he comes home from school. When from the window she saw him coming, it was as though the evil one came over her and she grabbed the apple and took it away from her daughter saying, you shall not have one before your brother. She threw the apple into the chest and shut it. Then the little boy came in the door and the evil one made her say to him kindly, my son, do you want an apple? And she looked at him fiercely. Mother said the little boy, how angry you look. Yes, give me an apple. Then it seemed to her as if she had to persuade him Come with me, she said, opening the lid of the chest. Take out an apple for yourself. And while the little boy was leaning over, the evil one prompted her, and crash! She slammed down the lid, and his head flew off, falling among the red apples. Then fear overcame her, and she thought, maybe I can get out of this. So she went upstairs to her room, to her chest of drawers, and took a white scarf, out of the top drawer set the head on the neck again tying the scarf around it so that nothing could be seen then she set him on a chair in front of the door and put the apple in his hand after this Marlene came into the kitchen to her mother who was standing by the fire with a pot of hot water before her which she was stirring around and around mother said Marlene brother is sitting at the door he looks totally white and has an apple in his hand. I asked him to give me the apple, but he did not answer me, and I was very frightened. Go back to him, said her mother, and if he will not answer you, then box his ears. So Marlene went to him and said, Brother, give me the apple, but he was silent. So she gave him one to the ear, and his head fell off. Marlene was terrified and began crying and screaming and ran to her mother and said, Oh, mother, I've knocked my brother's head off. She cried and cried and could not be comforted. Marlene said to the mother, What have you done? 
Be quiet and don't let anyone know about it. It cannot be helped now. We will cook him in the stew. Then the mother took the little boy, chopped him in pieces, put him into the pot, and cooked him in the stew. But Marlene stood by crying and crying, and all her tears fell into the pot, and they did not need any salt. Then the father came home and sat down at the table and said, Where's my son? And the mother served up a large, large dish of stew, and Marlene cried and could not stop. Then the father said again, Where is my son? Oh, said the mother, he has gone across the country to his mother's great uncle. He will stay there a while. What is he doing there? He did not even say goodbye to me. Oh, he wanted to go and ask me if he could stay six weeks. He will be well taken care of there. Oh, said the man, I am unhappy. It isn't right. He should have said goodbye to me. With that, he began to eat, saying, Marlene, why are you crying? Your brother will certainly come back. Then he said, Wife, this food is delicious. Give me some more. And the more he ate, the more he wanted. And he said, Give me some more. You two shall have none of it. It seems to me as if it were all mine. And he ate and ate, throwing all the bones under the table until he had finished it all. Marlene went to her chest of drawers, took her best silk scarf from the bottom drawer, and gathered all the bones from beneath the table and tied them up in her silk scarf, then carried them outside the door, crying tears of blood. She laid them down beneath the juniper tree on the green grass, and after she had put them there, she suddenly felt better and did not cry anymore. Then the juniper tree began to move. The branches moved apart, then moved together again, just as if someone were rejoicing and clapping his hands. At the same time, a mist seemed to rise from the tree, and in the center of this mist, it burned like a fire, and a beautiful bird flew out of the fire, singing magnificently, and it flew high into the air, and when it was gone, the juniper tree was just as it had been before, and the cloth with the bones was no longer there. Marlene, however, was as happy and contented as if her brother were still alive, and she went merrily into the house, sat down at the table, and ate bird flew away and lit on a goldsmith's house and began to sing. My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister Marlene gathered all of my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. The goldsmith was sitting in his workshop making a golden chain when he heard the bird setting on his roof and singing. The song seemed very beautiful to him. He stood up, but as he crossed the threshold, he lost one of his slippers. However, he went right up the middle of the street with only one slipper and one sock on. He had his leather apron on, and in one hand he had a golden chain and in the other his tongs. The sun was shining brightly on the street. He walked onward, then stood still and said to the bird, Bird, he said, how beautifully you can sing. Sing that piece again for me. No, said the bird, I do not sing twice for nothing. Give me the golden chain, and then I will sing it again for you. The goldsmith said, Here's the golden chain for you. Now sing that song again for me. Then the bird came back and took the golden chain in his right claw, and went and sat in front of the goldsmith and sang, 
My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, Marlene, gathered all of my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. Then the bird flew away to a shoemaker and lit on his roof and sang, My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, Marlene, gathered all of my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, and laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. Hearing this, the shoemaker ran out of the doors in his shirt sleeves and looked up at his roof and had to hold his hand in front of his eyes to keep the sun from blinding him. Bird, he said, how beautifully you can sing. Then he called in at his door. Wife, come outside, there's a bird here. Look at this bird, he certainly can sing. Then he called his daughter and her children and the journeyman and the apprentice and the maid and they all came out into the street and looked at the bird and saw how beautiful he was and what fine red and green feathers he had and how his neck was like pure gold and how his eyes shone like stars in his head. Bird, said the shoemaker, now sing that song again for me. No, said the bird, I do not sing twice for nothing. You must give me something. Wife, said the man, go into the shop. There's a pair of red shoes on the top shelf. Bring them down. Then the wife went and brought the shoes. There, bird, said the man. Now sing that piece again for me. Then the bird came and took the shoes in his left claw and flew back to the roof and sang, My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, Marlene, gathered all of my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. When he had finally finished his song, he flew away. In his right claw he had the chain, and in his left one the shoes. He flew far away to a mill, and the mill went clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. And the mill set twenty miller's apprentices cutting a stone and chiseling. Chip-chop, 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 and the mill went clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Then the bird went and sat on a linden tree, which stood in front of the mill and sang, my mother, she killed me. Then one of them stopped working. My father, he ate me. Then two more stopped working and listened. My sister, Marlene. Then four more stopped. Gathered all my bones and tied them in a silken scarf. Now only eight were chiseling. Laid them beneath. Now only five. The juniper tree. Now only one. Tweet, tweet. What a beautiful bird am I. Then the last one stopped also and heard the last words, Bird, said he, how beautifully you sing. Let me hear that too. Sing it once more for me. No, said the bird, I do not sing twice for nothing. Give me the millstone and I will sing it again. Yes, he said, if it belonged only to me, you should have it. Yes, said the others, if he sings again, he can have it. Then the bird came down and the twenty millers took a beam and lifted the stone up. Yo, heave ho! The bird stuck his neck through the hole and put the stone on as if it were a collar, then flew to the tree again and sang, My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, Marlene, gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. When he was finished singing, he spread his wings, and in his right claw he had the chain, 
and in his left one the shoes, and around his neck the millstone. He flew far away to his father's house. In the room, the father, the mother, and Marlene were sitting at the table. The father said, I feel so contented. I am so happy. Not I, said the mother. I feel uneasy, just as if a bad storm were coming. But Marlene just sat and cried and cried. Then the bird flew up, and as it seated itself on the roof, the father said, Oh, I feel so truly happy, and the sun is shining so beautifully outside. I feel as if I were about to see some old acquaintance again. Not I, said the woman. I'm so afraid that my teeth are chattering, and I feel like I have fire in my veins. And she tore open her bodice even more. Marlene sat in the corner crying. She had a handkerchief before her eyes and cried until it was wet clear through. Then the bird seated itself on a juniper tree and sang, My mother, she killed me. The mother stopped her ears and shut her eyes, not wanting to see her hear. But there was a roaring in her ears like the fiercest storm, and her eyes burned and flashed like lightning. My father, he ate me. Oh, mother, said the man, that is a beautiful bird. He's singing so splendidly, and the sun is shining so warmly, and it smells like pure cinnamon. My sister, Marlene. Then Marlene laid her head on her knees and cried and cried. But the man said, I am going out. I must see the bird up close. Oh, don't go, said the woman. I feel as if the whole house were shaking and on fire. But the man went out and looked at the bird, gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. With this, the bird dropped the golden chain, and it fell right around the man's neck, so exactly around it that it fit beautifully. Then the man went in and said, Just look what a beautiful bird that is, and what a beautiful golden chain he has given me, and how nice it looks. But the woman was terrified. She fell down on the floor in the room, and her cap fell off her head. Then the bird sang once more, my mother killed me. I wish I were a thousand fathoms beneath the earth so I would not have to hear that. My father, he ate me. Then the woman fell down as if she were dead. My sister, Marlene. Oh, said Marlene, I too will go out and see if the bird will give me something. Then she went out, gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf. He threw the shoes down to her, laid them beneath the juniper tree, Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. Then she was contented and happy. She put on the new red shoes and danced and leaped into the house. Oh, she said, I was so sad when I went out and now I am so contented that this is a splendid bird. He has given me a pair of red shoes. No, said the woman, jumping to her feet with her hair standing up like flames of fire. I feel as if the world were coming to an end. I too will go out and see if it makes me feel better. And as she went out the door, crash, the bird threw the millstone on her head, and it crushed her to death. The father and Marlene heard it and went out. Smoke, flames, and fire were rising from the place. And when that was over, the little brother was standing there, and he took his father and Marlene by the hand, and all three were very happy, and they went into the house and sat down at the table and eight.
Fitcher's Bird, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Once upon a time, there was a sorcerer who disguised himself as a poor man, went begging from house to house, and captured beautiful girls. No one knew where he took them, for none of them ever returned. One day, he came to the door of a man who had three beautiful daughters. He appeared to be poor, weak beggar, and he carried a packed basket on his back, as though he wanted to collect some benevolent offerings in it. He asked for a bit to eat, and when the oldest daughter came out to give him a piece of bread, he simply touched her, and she was forced to jump into his pack basket. Then he hurried away with powerful strides and carried her to his house, which stood in the middle of a dark forest. Everything was splendid in the house. He gave her everything that she wanted. He said, My dear, you will like it here with me. You will have everything that your heart desires. So it went for a few days, and then he said to her, I have to go away and leave you alone for a short time. Here are the house keys. You may go everywhere and look at everything, except for the one room that this little key here unlocks. I forbid you to go there on the penalty of death. He also gave her an egg, saying, Take good care of this egg. You should carry it with you at all times, for if you should lose it, great misfortune would follow. She took the keys and the egg and promised to take good care of everything. As soon as he had gone, she walked about in the house from top to bottom, examining everything. The rooms glistened with silver and gold, and she thought that she had never seen such splendor. Finally, she came to the forbidden door. She wanted to pass it by, but curiosity gave her no rest. She examined the key. It looked like any other one. She put it into the lock and twisted it a little, and then the door sprang open. What did she see when she stepped inside? A large, bloody basin stood in the middle, inside which there lay the cut-up parts of dead girls. Nearby, there was a wooden block with a glistening axe lying on it. She was so terrified that the egg which she was holding in her hand fell into the basin. She got it out again and wiped off the blood, but it was to no avail, for it always came back. She wiped and scrubbed, but she could not get rid of the stain. Not long afterward, the man returned from his journey, and he immediately asked for the key and the egg. She handed them to him, shaking all the while, for he saw from the red stain that she had been in the blood chamber. You went into that chamber against my will, he said, and now against your will, you shall go into it once again. Your life is finished. He threw her down, dragged her by her hair into the chamber, cut off her head on the block, then cut her up into pieces, and her blood flowed out onto the floor. Then he threw her into the basin with the others. Now I will go get a second one, said the sorcerer, and again, disguised as a poor man, he went to their house begging. The second sister brought him a piece of bread, and as he had done to the first one, he captured her by merely touching her, and he carried her away. It went with her no better than it had gone with her sister. She let herself be led astray by her curiosity, opened the blood chamber and looked inside. When he returned, she paid with her life. Then he went and captured the third sister, but she was clever and sly 
After he had given her the keys and the egg and had gone away, she carefully put the egg aside and then examined the house, entering finally the forbidden chamber. Oh, what she saw. Her two dear sisters were laying there in the basin, miserably murdered and chopped to pieces. In spite of this, she proceeded to gather their parts together, placing them back in order, head, body, arms and legs. Then when nothing else was missing, parts began to move. They joined together and the two girls opened their eyes and came back to life. Rejoicing, they kissed and hugged one another. When the man returned home, he immediately demanded the key and the egg. And when he was unable to detect any trace of blood on them, he said, you have passed the test. You shall be my bride. He now had no more power over her and had to do whatever she demanded. Good, she answered, but first you must take a basket full of gold to my father and mother. You yourself must carry it there on your back. In the meanwhile, I shall make preparations for the wedding. Then she ran to her sisters, whom she had hidden in a closet and said, the moment is here when I can rescue you. The evildoer himself shall carry you home. As soon as you have arrived at home, send help to me. She put them both into a basket and then covered them entirely with gold so that nothing could be seen of them. Then she called the saucer in and said, Now carry this basket away, but you are not to stop and rest underway. Take care, for I shall be watching you through my little window. The saucer lifted the basket onto his back and walked away with it. However, it pressed down so heavily on him that the sweat ran from his face. He sat down wanting to rest, but immediately one of the girls in the basket called out, I am looking through my little window, and I can see that you are resting. Walk on. He thought that his bride was calling to him, so he got up again. Then he again wanted to sit down, but someone immediately called out, I am looking through my little window, and I can see that you are resting. Walk on. Every time that he stopped walking, someone called out, and he had to walk on until groaning and out of breath, he brought the basket with the gold and the two girls to their parents' house. At home, the bride was making preparations for the wedding feast, to which she had the saucer's friends invited. Then she took a skull with grinning teeth, adorned it with jewelry, and with a wreath of flowers, carried it to the attic window and let it look out. When everything was ready, she dipped herself into a barrel of honey, then cut open the bed and rolled around in it until she looked like a strange bird, and no one would have been able to recognize her. Then she walked out of the house. Underway, some of the wedding guests met her, and they asked, You, Fitcher's bird, where are you coming from? I am coming from Fitcher's house. What is this young bride doing there? She has swept the house from bottom to top, and now she is looking out of the attic window. Finally, her bridegroom met her. He was slowly walking back home, and like the others, he asked, You, Fitcher's bird, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Fitcher's house. What is my young bride doing there? She has swept the house from bottom to top, and now she is looking out of the attic window. The bridegroom looked up. Seeing the decorated skull, he thought it was his bride, and he waved a friendly greeting to her. After he and all his guests had gone into the house, the bride's brothers and relatives arrived. They had been sent to rescue her. After closing up all the doors of the house so that no one could escape, they set it afire, and the sorcerer together with his gang, all burned to death.